I've read through part one of your book. Love it. Still reading it every day. Oh, great. Thank I you. love the story in the book. And I'm going to say that again when we start. I've been recording. So we're recording the whole time. You've been live the whole time. No. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Thank you, LCI. Now to the show. Welcome Katie Anderson, and thank you for your help. You help where you can. The worst kind of help, as I'm sure you know, is unwanted help. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, the word, yeah, the worst kind of help is when you have the intention of being helpful, and then your <laughs> actions are actually not aligned with how to deliver the help that person needs. And so that's the biggest, the hardest one is when there's a disconnect or a misalignment between intention and action. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been guilty of that. Yeah, in my early no, days. Me, me too. That's the the, the yeah. biggest thing to. One of the things I really focus on helping leaders at all levels is to create an awareness for themselves. Is when are they getting them when, when they may have the intention for something, but their actions are actually not aligned with that. <laughs> so, yeah. how do you create awareness for that and then do something different? Cool to have you on. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm a fan of Mark Raven. It looks like the two of you worked together a couple times or co-conspired. Mark and I have done a few things uh, professionally together, but mainly have a a friendship that's developed out of professional connections and have been real supporters of each other. Uh, So that's been been great. Mark was really super helpful when I first started blogging. I had this vision when I moved to Japan in 2015 that – of course, I wanted to learn as much as possible and capitalize on the experience for myself. But I thought, what a unique opportunity. Someone who comes from the lean Toyota yeah. production system space and now getting to go live in Japan. And and so I wanted to start my blog. And so he was really helpful in me, sort of the back end logistics of like how to think through getting a blog going and, yeah. and then amplifying some of those early, early blog posts. So I'm grateful for Mark. Yeah. He is, uh, I definitely first learned about you through some of his content and posts and then later through some other friends. I think you were on, uh, Sam's, uh, CI and 90 or CI. Oh, yes. Yep. He kn- and then I saw you again there and I was like, Whoa, what a small world. Yeah. Yep. It was great. Sam met, uh, he was a member. He joined Karen Ross's in my, um, K2, Katie and Karen's coaching communities, <laughs> our K2C2 coaching communities. Uh, and he was in, partially inspired by the practice, the concepts of purpose and intention that is fun, fundamental to our, our coaching practice. And he, he really took that forward to a whole nother level. And I love these CI and fives that he's doing and um, just engaging with people to talk quickly. How do you know Sam or how did you? Yeah, he found me. And, okay, uh, there you go. Yeah, and he asked me to to be on his. So I, I, I jumped on his and we talked on the phone one time for everyone thinks Katie, they're going to talk to me on the phone for like 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. two hours later, I always sound like I wish we just recorded this because this would have been a great show. Yeah. yeah. So totally. we had, yeah, we talked for a long time. And then he had me on later, like two weeks later, I was on the show. 
and someday it'll come out. I'm see he's doing like just a hectic. I couldn't imagine trying to post something every day. Oh, I know he, your blog. How often were you writing? Oh, it, well, it's been it's varied at least once a week uh, back. Or I was trying to do once a week. It's it's morphed, and then when I was writing the book, it got really hard to write blog yeah. posts because like I, all my writing energy was going towards the book. But you know, I find that the writing the blog posts are an opportunity to reflect for myself, and it's almost not journaling. It's not exactly that, but it's a, it's yeah. a purposeful time to sit and put some thoughts together differently. So even when I was working on the book, I was trying to get something out once a month. Didn't always succeed in that, but uh, I'm trying to get back to every two weeks ish oh, yeah. uh, now, but not to be, you know, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's okay. No, <laughs> I don't think people are like, gosh, Katie didn't put out a blog post this week. I'm <laughs> just continuing to put things out into the world is what's important to me. It and is being part of the dialogue and the thought leadership and discussion. But there, one of the things I'm really loving is being on podcasts a lot lately. And in some ways that fills some of that space for me of, of writing the blog posts. Uh, it's just a different medium in which I'm sharing thinking with other people and, and receiving uh, other ideas as well. That's great. And here you're going to get a two for one. There'll be, there's a, just an audio only podcast, which is really big in the U.S., but it has, we're in over 20 countries worldwide. And then the YouTube channel, it's a fledgling little channel, but there are quite a few people that Great. watch the videos as well on YouTube. And we'll, we can throw images up of your book. Boom. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so I don't have to even do anything in effects. You just can bring it forward. And look at that. You have my, you see my, I do. My, my staging in the background. Yeah. All and my you, Daruma dolls too. Have, have, have you discovered my Daruma passion yet? I have. I've seen okay. many a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, here, this is my Daruma, this is my Daruma collection room. You can see all the way at the oh, top wow. there. Yeah, that's a really big one up there. I'll show you. This is one I got in the. This one I had especially made for me at the Daruma Temple um, in Japan. And actually, on my Japan study trips, one of the highlights for me is to take people to uh, the town in Japan where most of the these paper mache darumas, you know, tiny ones all the way to yeah. the big ones are made. And this this one I had made with my signature word, which is intention. Mm. Uh, and so part of this top part of the word means heart, and this one means direction. This also is in the term Hoshinkanri, so for strategy deployment. And so I see intention really is about connecting what's important here in our heart, or maybe you say your purpose, and then aligning your your uh, actions in that direction. So that gets back to, and I, I talk about often how we try and be helpful and that's our intention, but our actions don't actually align up with that intention. So that's the when Daruma's I talk match. about leadership and, and bring in Shine's work. This now is my, one, my special Daruma from Japan. So now I see the, you have one eye painted. Is that, does well, that count as an eye? Well, no, this one, I haven't, I haven't chosen a, a special goal for this one, but this was, I, I got to pay extra for the monks um, at the temple to infuse some special energy into the Daruma. Uh, so he already has some extra spirit wow. <laughs> for, for me, but I haven't brought myself to, um, to use this one yet. So do they have more power, the bigger they are? Excuse me. Do you, feel, do you feel like the larger they are, the more potent they are? Well, technically that's, that is part of the, um, 
I guess the lore, the nice thing for the Daruma temple is you pay more for the larger size. And so they, they make some more money for their, uh, their monks. And then uh, like large companies buy really huge ones. And, and so every year then companies and individuals will bring their Darumas, their completed Darumas to the Daruma temple. And then they light this huge bonfire at the, in January and set them all ablaze and, uh, so it's actually really cool because you go and there's like these stacks of even more like just large Darumas, small Darumas and everything at the Daruma temple. So I, oh, I, I'm not, I have not brought myself, I brought one to the one sort of medium sized one and left it at the Daruma temple. But I like, I like my Darumas, but I am getting an extensive collection now. Uh, you are. So there you go. You definitely, <laughs> we're going to have some nice bonfires at some point. Yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you reach more of your purpose. Yes reach more of the purpose and achieve the goals. And there are a few goals put on hold this year because, you know, we had some things change and, right. oh, and so the, one of the beauties of the Darumas also represents the, the Japanese proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight. And so the Darumas are weighted at the bottom. So they'll actually like, you know, write themselves up. Oh, that's very cool. And uh, the big ones that are more effective. But this little guy is working. Oh, okay. that little guy does it. Yeah, he, he really wants to come back up. That's good. So, you know, <laughs> even I think it's just, there couldn't be a better or more apt proverb for our times right now with COVID and um, all the changes we're, and struggles we're going through and the things that we had expected to happen. We've been set back, but it's about how now are we recovering from that? What are we learning and how are we moving forward and still and still going forward to achieve our goals? Right on. I, I like that saying a lot too. I just like hand to, you know, we can open up my Kindle book right now and you'd see that I just crossed that page like a day ago. Great. We we're talking about the falling down seven times. I'm going to, that's one that I'm going to share with my son. We talk about mm. good finds and things that we're reading. That's one to share with him because I tell him like I, as, as a person, my biggest growth has always been in failure, not in success. Yes. Yes. And, and to know that we can't expect perfection or achievement necessarily on the first go. Like that was one of the elements that I was so taken by with working with Isao Yoshino is how, uh, how willing he was to explore the things that were his failures in his career or the mistakes or the challenges that he had. And just wait till you get to the end of the book. There's a whole section uh, devoted to this 10 year long yeah. Uh, business failure. He wasn't all a failure, but it ultimately uh, was a failed business. And, and the complexity that went into that and also his own personal experience of kind of carrying that failure around for decades. And he was always, he'd always talk about, oh, I had this bad, this failed business and you can learn so much from that. But even in the years that we knew each other and, and starting to work on the book, he, he just kept it pretty surface. And then as I was diving more and more into trying to understand what happened and also to even write the chapter, I, I kept going back to him like, I don't understand like what, what happened. And then he would, we would go back and tell, he would, he would be able to go deeper and tell me more. And one of my greatest, uh, I guess, I don't know, honor is the right word, but I just feel so happy that I was able to help him reframe his his failure in a, in a different way. He had knew he could, had learned from it, but yeah. even in our early conversations, he just sounded, he kind of looked gray when we talked and did, and then this one day, this one, it was an evening for me and morning for him. 
and he just had this like glow about him and he's like i see things in a different light and your questions helped me get there because you didn't blame me you know you weren't saying oh why did you fail you were asking all of these questions about the environment and the circumstance and with genuine curiosity and caring and he's like because of that i have learned more deeply about my own experiences and I see them in a different light. And to me, if, if there is no one read the book and all it was was helping my now dear friend experience yeah. his life in a more deep and meaningful way, um, that was the greatest gift to me. So, and it's a bonus that other people can learn from his failures too. And, it and is me a bonus. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the things we learn, Katie, and I'm in the continuous improvement space like you as well, we think sometimes, especially early on, that we can understand causality. Mm -hmm. And like the deeper you go into it, the more mysterious and gray and complex it becomes. It's very hard to really know why did something happen? It's not easy. No, and there's in, in, in complex situations, it's rarely one root cause, right? right. You know, it's a multitude of factors uh, that contribute to ultimately um, the outcomes that we see. And, and that's why, as you know, fo a focus on process, not just on outcome is so critical, especially in the, in the continuous improvement space, or if we wanting to have a learning organization, because it's the process in which where the learning happens, yeah. if we're only focused on the outcome. Yes, we can have some learning, but we don't know if we can repeat that again, uh, or we just move on to the next thing. So you're like, great, let's, let's just keep going outcome, outcome, outcome you're not creating that knowledge and that wisdom. And that's truly, I think what Toyota has, was able to do really successfully. You know, as you know, as Mr. Yoshino says, and I put it in the beginning of the book, the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's been so challenging for other organizations to copy them because it's not the tools. The tools no. support a learning process, but it's really, how are you getting how are you using the tools to support learning and how are you developing the leadership capabilities to do that as well? Yeah. And I think people like, I see it in your book in the about you section, you say you're a lifetime student mm. and some people say that and people that aren't that way, cause everyone isn't that way. There's a lot of variation to see what you've achieved and where you've been five countries, you know, the successful book, multiple podcasts, you're probably on multiple podcasts a day, you know, being on TV, traveling and getting a chance to live in, in Japan for over a year and then studying with an amazing mentor. I mean, that just did not happen overnight. You, you've been like, just like he was really engaged and fascinated. I like the parallel in the book between his story and your story, even though you're not blatantly telling your story, I see a lot of you in him and how you you're fascinated with Japanese culture. Like he was fascinated with American culture and he would, picks up Spanish. I mean, you go to Australia, it's a different type of English. It gets its own category. <laughs> yes. Right. <sighs> right. So I, I see a lot of parallel in the way that you two came up. And as I was reading the beginnings of your book, I said, I'm not surprised that the two of you became very mm -hmm. close because there's just so many similarities, like birds of a feather do flock together. It, it's really, that's really astute of you because I, I agree completely. Uh, like on the surface, you know, you think this, I'm, I'm pretty tall, uh, Caucasian American woman in her mid, mid forties. And he's this shorter, you know, Japanese man in his mid seventies and 
different cultures, different generations, different genders. Uh, and yet the fundamental part of our purpose in life and the things mm -hmm. that have drawn us, including like I would say our warp and our weft as, as yeah. I talk about in the book are really the same. I've always had this, for me, the strong warp threads, the things that have really, I guess, helped propel me through life is this desire to experience other cultures. And I've purposely made these decisions from, a teen, from the time I was a teenager onward to pick up and move to other countries on my own, uh, except for Japan was with, was with my family, but all the yeah. other times were me as an individual. And then this, this life, long passion for learning and for helping other people learn as well. And, uh, you know, that one, that first time that we got together in Japan, it was about four, three or four months after my family moved um, to Tokyo. And I made my husband take the day off of work and take the Shinkansen there. I, I genuinely believed it, this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to spend the day with Isao Yoshino. And, uh, but it was so clear in that first meeting that we there was so much synergy in our just how we approached life and the things that we uh, were both passionate about and and a friendship really was established from that point forward yeah that's where i, I sometimes tell people that uh i have these like little lucky moments and people wiser than me say it's not luck mm. there's a little bit of uh destiny a little bit of openness i think you in the book you call it discovery right yeah the known and the discovered right but Yes, it's what we do. So I, I was, how did I frame it? It was, it was earlier today, actually, I said it was a combination of um, like purpose and, and serendipity, you know, like it's <laughs> this intersection or no, if, or purpose and intention or, or serendipity and intention. I don't know. There are multiple <laughs> things like it's, you can have luck or situations or things that happen, like opportunities that present themselves to you. And then it's ha what you, what you do with them. So, and also how do you put yourself in situations um, so that you have the possibility of, um, of things. But, you know, I, people remarked to me often while I was in Japan, they were like other, other foreigners who were living there like, oh my gosh, you're doing so much with your time here because I, I like hit the ground running. I was like, yeah. I have 18 months. <laughs> I want to do as much and learn as much and meet as many people as possible and write my blog and you know learn japanese and and all of that yeah. that I, I went i set out with great intention and purpose to to really take advantage of that opportunity and from that purposefulness has now resulted in really tremendous things with my relationship with mr yoshino and the book and the japan study trips i lead now and that yeah. all came out of me being really actively pursuing uh, these possibilities opposed to hey, just you took big advantage yeah. of being there because I think, you know, you had intention. Mm. You had a big, you landed there. I mean, it wasn't like an accident, right? What, uh, what can you think back, like where you got interested in spending time in Japan, like as early as you can remember? You know, I, for me, it's all, it's been traveling as a whole, all across all cultures The I, I had, the opportunity to go to Japan, actually, when I was in high school, my mom's brother was a career expat in the construction industry. He worked oh. for Bechtel, actually. There oh you my. go. And so we had this incredible opportunity to, since we had relatives living in different countries, to go to go travel and stay at their house. And one of his first assignments was actually in Tokyo. And so when I, I think I was, it must have been a freshman in high school, 
went to Tokyo or went to Japan for a week. And I hadn't been to Japan since then, although I'd traveled in Asia and lived in, you know, lived in Australia for four years and other, in some Spanish speaking countries and some other, other um, English speaking countries. But once I knew, you know, of course my interest in Japan was uh, enriched from the time that I was studying the Toyota production system and applying that in healthcare operations and, and improvement. Uh, and I always had an interest in going back to Japan, but it was, you know, then I was settled down having, you know, married with kids and, and, yeah. and working. So we were, we were doing a little bit easier travel. But then when the opportunity for my, was my husband's job to move to Japan for his work, I was so excited. I couldn't imagine a more perfect fit for mm -hmm. another abroad experience um, than Japan for myself, both from a professional interest in Toyota and uh, Japanese culture, but also from the personal side of learning the language and getting back to the culture. And um, so it, it, from that point forward, now it's been like six years. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, it's now Japan is like enmeshed in my, my life's uh, tapestry from here on out. So. Yeah, that is really good. I mean, it's, you're so excited talking about it. Mm. I, I'm I like, really, you know, yeah. you're, you're more excited talking about your time in Japan, even than your book. Oh, that's good. That says a lot. <laughs> I, well, and I look, sometimes I get very excited. You know, one of, I was, I was, I'm really grateful that I was, had a chance to be in Japan this year. I was there at the end of January um, mm. and I was there for 12 days planning for my sold out study trips, which of course didn't happen in May and October. Actually, I was supposed, they were supposed to be kicking off this week. So my, my second trip for this year, uh, although that seems like a lifetime ago now, uh, since we've had to, <laughs> since we've had to pivot on that, you know, but I'm really, it was a really great trip. Uh, I'm sad that the things that I'd planned didn't come to fruition for this year, but they will in the future. But I also had an opportunity to, um, spend some really good time with some friends there who uh, may one one family who has left now subsequently to after 15 years in Japan to go back wow. to the United States and 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 just caught up with some friends so I'm really glad I had a chance to be there earlier this year and uh, this is the longest time now since I went out to Japan in October six years ago to first go look for apartments and and schools for my children that I actually have been away from Japan it's been uh, almost going on 10 months now. So wow. I usually am back like at least every sort of six to eight months. So, but Ooh, yeah. that's a world we're in. So fall down <laughs> seven times, get up eight. <laughs> I'll get back there. Absolutely. I know you'll get back there. Yes, I can feel yes. it. Mm. Yeah. And what's, what's something that you can share with people? Like number one, how can people get engaged with you to get more and, and mm. find you and find resources to get connected with your work? Let's go uh, there. Yeah, There's no great. shameless plugs here, Katie. No, great. Well, so the easiest, well, there are two easy ones to remember. Uh, one related to the book is just the book's URL, which links to my website. So learning to lead, leading to learn.com. So you can have all the information on the book and there's some additional resources that uh, did some stories that didn't go into the book Ooh. and some other resources there. And then my website is KBJ Anderson with an O-N, kbjanderson.com. And I have a ton of resources there. You can link to me, email me again on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn are my most active social media platforms. So I'm at KBJ Anderson and forward slash KBJ Anderson. My middle initials are B and J. My, my um, 
maiden name was Brian Jones. So I'm Catherine Brian Jones Anderson. So that's where the KBJA comes from. Uh, so that, those are the best ways. And then you can subscribe to my blog as well. You know, I try and put something out every two-ish weeks. Um, but, and there's a lot, a lot more. But I, and I love to hear from people and, and engage in conversations and dialogue. And this is what gives me joy about coming on podcasts such as this as well, is uh, not just talking to the host, but also hearing from people about what, uh, what resonated with them. Yeah, people, please, we encourage you to make comments. Yeah. Katie and I will respond, we promise. Yes, I do. <laughs> I respond to every comment on anything I post, just yeah. if there's something there. And I've been changing my approach, Katie, starting to ask questions because I want people to dialogue a little bit. Mm. I know how I think, but I, I'll think better when people can react to what I'm thinking and and in exchange the dialogue with some other folks. That, one of the, I think the, the beauties though, is we, with, all of us being in our home environments is there it sort of shattered any preconceived notion that we needed to be separate uh be a different person at work yeah. from our home lives and uh you know there's some challenges around that as well for people but i i love seeing like I, we had this meeting i facilitate a consortium of local companies actually there's a, a company from the sacramento area but mainly down in the bay area san francisco bay area for lean learning uh, through the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. And one of our um, member company representatives, he was at home and he has a six month old baby. And so he had the baby with him for part of the meeting and he was, the baby was so cute, but fussing a little bit. And we're like, don't worry about it. Like, it's yeah. great. Like, this is, you know, it's yeah. fine. Make it work. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a human being. I know I get the, I, I'm just not good enough, Katie, to be different at work than I am at home. Mm. And my son is always like when he I've taken him some work things in the past and he meets people that know me and he says, he's always amazed like, wow, dad, you are the same everywhere. <laughs> totally. I, uh, I'm, I've always been the same person as well. Uh, you, what you see is what you get and you know, I'm authentically, authentically myself, uh, there's some careers that I would never make a good spy. Let's be, yeah. let's put it that way because I, I just, I'm you coughing now because I can't, my mom, even my mom's like, yeah, you're transparent. Yeah. Like you can't hide what's going on. Like I'm either really excited or not. And like, but I think that's also one of the, the beauties of who I am and uh, just have to, you, you know, you, what you see is what you get. It's hard for me Perfect. to hide anything. Yeah. Don't, don't even bother. Don't waste your energy. No. I, I did want to ask you, like, uh, we've got a lot of people working in the healthcare industry, especially for healthcare building. And I wanted to pick your brain and share with folks any insights into the healthcare before COVID, after COVID. Mm. Have you seen anything in how hospitals are designed and built uh, from a leadership perspective? Is there any? I'm just going all over the place, Katie. You just pick wow. whatever you want to share on the, on that topic. I think a lot of our listeners would love to hear, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, you know, I haven't been as personally behind the scenes in healthcare. Uh, as much in the last handful of years, I certainly do go in and help support different um, hospital leadership teams and operations yeah. and have many hospitals uh, here in the in California as part of our um, AME consortium. So most of my insights are is really secondhand from their experiences. You know, I, I, I would say that 
you know, because they're obviously the hardest hit or some of the hardest hit, especially in the early days with COVID, it was all hands on deck in, in yeah. pivoting to being able to support our communities and provide healthcare. Um, but really, you know, it was, it was great. Like Stanford Children's, it, we had an opportunity to go see how, uh, you know, remotely we were all in a, watching sort of on a Zoom call using their management system to support them through this. So yes, we're having a big crisis, but how can they leverage the systems and structures that mm -hmm. they've put in place for communication and for um, continuous improvement to uh, help enable them to move through a challenging time? And, and I mean, this is sort of not just healthcare, I would say, but organizations who have embraced concepts of continuous improvement in uh, making the visible invisible and creating yes. systems and structures for um, transparency and tracking work and tracking people's problem solving and engaging them are going to be the ones that we're able to recover or respond to um, challenges in the environment so much faster. And so, uh, you know, I would say that that was, that's been true of the healthcare organizations who've been, in, I've been in touch with as well. And that's good. Yeah, so it's it is good, and it's not a reason to not start now either. You know, if you're right. in an organization that hasn't yet, you know, really created the system, those systems and structures, structures, and just getting started. Well, now is as good a time as any because uh, there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing that a crisis won't help do, but you know, accelerate the the fire, the burning platform of why why something's needed or it's change is needed. I love that you hit on uh, transparency. I think. That's probably good for every industry. I've got some friends that do a lot of consulting with multiple industries, not just construction. And that's a that's a theme that keeps coming mm. out. Like easy way and you do any kind of systems thinking, design thinking, and I know that you you hit you hinted at it mm. that a learning organization, if you can just l allow people an environment where they can learn mm. and in increase that transparency, it can have really big consequences for improvement. Absolutely. There's a, there's a mystery a quote that Mr. Yoshino made, made at some point, and I, it's in the book about how, making the invisible visible. And that's the whole point about so many of the tools and structures that Toyota had was how do you, how do you make work visible? How do you make thinking visible? I mean, that was the yeah. whole premise around um, the A3 report. How do you have a format that, in which you have to make your thinking visible and to communicate that? Um, that's, you know, all of the things at the workplace, you know, on the shop floor, how do you have red lights and green lights to signal things? Uh, so how, again, all of these tools are, are challenging us about how do we take the invisible and make it visible, otherwise known yeah. as transparency. <laughs> it is <laughs> so, a challenge. It is a challenge. Yeah. A lot of organizations when they started, mm. if they've been around for a little while, they, they build on tradition of what worked but everything doesn't scale. Mm. But I find the transparency does cut through and help to scale. And I, I don't want to say it's a silver bullet for all things, but I haven't seen where transparency didn't help. Certainly having visibility into what's actually going on can only uh, help, help move towards clarity rather than trying to hide it. And, and that gets to the, the point too around this, the premise or it's sort of like a fundamental mindset at Toyota and other companies as well, but I think is not the common uh, mindset about um, no problem is a problem 
and, yeah. and bad news first. So how, how can we make the problems visible? Because otherwise we're just hiding them. It doesn't mean they don't exist. It just means we're not addressing them. And so how do we have a culture and an environment in our organizations that makes it safe to bring forward problems or issues and that we're not penalized for uh, mistakes or failures, but that it's really looking at the process so that we can uh, make improvements and, and fix things. Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to the the predispositions of some of our leaders, which I know mm. you know. It's probably you spent some good quality time coaching that idea that failure is okay. Well, and it's it's hard, right? I mean, we have we are rewarded in our society. I mean, I think most societies for uh, having the right answer, it, being successful. Like, what does that mean from like the, our, our schooling environment all the way through? You know. Uh, as you're getting trained, being right, your strength is about having the answer, not having the right question. And I, I really, I think this, the, the first, that first quote that I heard from Mr. Yoshino when he was on stage with John Shook, this is at the conference I met him, uh, that, that chance meeting that turned yeah. into this pivotal life experience. He made a comment on stage about his role as John Shook's manager, John Shook being the first non-Japanese employee of Toyota back in the 1980s when Toyota was starting to expand uh, to the West. And Mr. Yoshino made this really kind of simple but insightful comment that I've distilled down to a leader's role is to set the direction or provide that challenge, you know, sort of what direction should we be going, providing the support of their people to be able to move towards that challenge and then also developing his or herself at the same time. And that's so simple in concept, but you know, so challenging in practice because it goes against a lot of our natural habits of what we've been rewarded for. Yeah. Set the direction, but also provide yeah. all the answers. Yeah. We have that whole idea of sink or swim. And we say in, in the construction industry, we kick you into the deep end of the pool with no life preserver, nor a question, care not whether you could swim or not. And if you survive, you're one of us. But if you drown and die, well, oh well you yeah. weren't meant to be here. No, you weren't strong enough. Yeah. You know, I think of our, you know, the our broader environment right now too, where it's sort of weak to be seen as not having the, the right answer. But in, in fact, if we can, as leaders and as people have better questions and help, help support other people, uh, the richness of discovery and knowledge that comes out of that is, is so it's, you know, exponentially more than any one person could, could come up with um, by themselves. There was, I'm, I'm pausing. Cause I was, I, I was, as we were talking, there was something else that had come to my mind, but I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it will come back. Cause this is one of my, one of my, my passion topics. Oh, it's around the concept of uh, another thing I, I, you know, we have to balance at like sort of that telling and asking and, you know, yeah. back to shine that we need telling, but we, we also need asking it's applying that in the right situation. And as in a leadership role too, or, or as a coach, we need challenge and nurture. So we need to also push people into, we got to push them beyond their comfort zone because it's where that struggle cap is that where the learning happens. You know, if, if it comes super easily, you know, you probably already were, already were an expert in that area or, or you're not achieving what you might be able to do. So how do you push the challenge, but also provide that nurture. So you're not just throwing them in the deep end, as you said, yeah. and, you know, sink or swim, 
you know, but like teaching them along the way. And uh, we have to sort of toggle back and forth between those two and uh, know that both are needed to move forward. And I love John Shook's book, Managing to Learn, where he he hits on that in that book. And that's a book still to this day, unlike any other that I've ever read. And some people we give that book to as a gift in our organization and, and they love it. And some people we give it to and, and they don't like it. They don't like the the leader. It's the leader dialogue that they, they don't like. Yeah. They don't like that the that Ken Sanderson doesn't look prepared. Yeah. And he has like doubts. <laughs> and, like, and it says a lot about how people react to that narrative. And it's mm. it's a great story because you kind of fall in one way or the other. You rarely get somebody who has no opinion of it. They have a strong reaction to that. Yep. And I see the A3 process the same way in the same way in your book, how their responsibility, Yoshino says in the beginning, why he started this and he didn't realize it at the time was in a reflection is when it happened where he said, when I came to Toyota, people just took care of me. It wasn't like the work was easy by no means, but he said people went out of their way to onboard me and to make sure I was ready. Yep. And we have a new generation entering the workforce today and a consistent thing that we hear across industries is that uh, large companies don't onboard people yeah. or at least not in the way that, that those coming in feel like it was adequate. For sure. I have, I have two comments on what you just said. First, I don't know if you're aware that uh, Isao Yoshino actually is uh, the, the model for John Shook's Ken, uh, Sanderson character. So oh, Yoshino is Sanderson. Uh, it's actually, Yoshi, it's a kind of a blend of Yoshino and Yoshi, the Yoshino's assistant manager who was the direct supervisor of John Shook. He sort of melded their two um, characters to create Sanderson. So wow. you actually are reading the book of, this is Sanderson and yeah. Sanderson's learning journey. Uh, here in the book. So uh, I'm not surprised you see similarities uh, in that. So, uh, and then two, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, I even think back to my own early days and, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. So my, my early onboarding over 20 years ago at different, in, or even just in the last decade of different organizations, you know, you do a half day or full day orientation, which is really from HR to onboard you to how to fill out your, you know, health insurance forms yeah. and some like, you know, OSHA requirements, but, but nothing really about the culture. And then you may or may not have a meeting with your boss. And then, you know, kind of things are happening very ad hoc. It depends on sort of the team that you're joining. Yeah. Uh, but then you contrast that to, you know, Yoshina's experience of many months <laughs> of being onboarded and getting some real practical experience and, and what, you know, the impact that that had. And that was sort of how they also looked at the training programs for, uh, you know, when they were teaching the Americans about the Toyota production system as well. And I, and I think that there's many repercussions to that too. I even, my experience when I got promoted into a managerial role as even though I'd, you know, been a strong independent contributor, I didn't know how to do budgets or manage teams. And th there was, n there was like little to no support for me to move into that role. Um, and I look back on that time now and I was doing the best that I could, 
but I really wasn't <laughs> given that support. So I was given the direction like do X, Y, and Z with your group, but the, the support to be able to learn how to do that was, was pretty limited. And uh, I think about how much more successful I could have been in my role if I really had had some mentorship uh, yeah. deeper mentorship along the way. I had other mentorship and sort of the content expertise that I was still um, leading in the teams that I was leading, but not a really on that, that management side. Uh, I think that's a real problem in our uh, society today. And, and, and also what get, makes me so passionate about how do we help people who are transitioning from uh, being successful experts in whatever they were doing, you know, as independent contributors or now, now, now moving up through the, the management ranks because leadership is something that has, is cultivated, you know, you're learning to lead so that you can lead to learn and going to the, back to the title of the book. But we, we often forget about that. We just kind of throw people in the deep end. They're like, Oh, didn't make it work, but you maybe had lost amazing opportunity for someone who really had the intention and the heart for developing other people, but they just didn't understand or know how to align their behaviors or felt so overwhelmed by what was going on that they weren't as successful as they, they could have been under a different um, mentorship model. I had somebody ask me today and they said, uh, do you even want direct reports? And I said, well, I mentor over two dozen people. And I said, what do you think? And it wasn't obvious. It's <laughs> just like, it was just funny to me that uh, we don't think about that. The people that we promote, you could be really good as a technician, subject matter expert, but we rarely evaluate people on their, their ability to lead other people. Mm -hmm. Some of the other skills like the budgeting things can be taught, but everyone does. I think it, it I had an experience when I was a young kid, a hospital story. I was changing windows. I, I grew up in the Midwest, and we used to have change storm windows on our house. And I was tall enough that I could do it without a ladder. So my parents thought, all right, go ahead. You, you got this. And I accidentally broke one, and I had to go to the hospital because I could cut to the bone. And I remember I'd watched a lot of Discovery Channel, Katie. Like, no <laughs> shock that I, I'm a big nerd, and I like watching things on to learn. And... Uh, I told the uh, I had seen a program where they had had some like experimental and not experimental but there's like a paste that you can put in that instantly stops bleeding. Mm. And I remember the doctor that finally came in after like 7 hours of waiting. I'm sure Mark and I can go on a on a tear <laughs> about you know how long can you wait while you're bleeding from your finger <laughs> in the hospital. And uh, the bleeding never stopped cuz I lost so much skin. So the doctor comes in and right away the doctor is half asleep, Katie. And I said to the doctor, I was probably 15. I said, when's the last time you slept? And he said, I've been on for three days. And then uh, he's like, we're going to have to stitch that. And I was like, you can't stitch this. You're like trying to close a chasm. You're going to give me a weird scar. I'm not going to be able to close my hand. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, bring me that special cream that just stops the bleeding. Yeah. And let's see what the... He's like, how do you know about that? <laughs> so then they, they... I never see him again. They send a nurse in with the stuff and... And my finger, I still have a scar to this day mm. on this finger. I might zoom, bring it forward yeah. and <laughs> zoom it in so you can see it. But I have full function of my hand. I mean, it barely yeah. missed a vein. And it's that whole thing. So that the reason I'm sharing that story is because in, in the American medical industry, as part of the hazing for new doctors is that they have to work three days in a row. Right? And it's not, and doctors know that not sleeping is not good for you, but it's yeah. tradition. 
Right. So just keep doing it. So because I had to, no one taught me how to budget. I'm not going to teach you how to budget. And then I'm not going to encourage you to teach the other people. And then you have a company like Toyota that is so radically different. And I remember hearing stories when I first started start studying Toyota a decade ago that that you would spend sometimes, depending on your role, you might be six weeks training in an offsite facility before you even got to where you're going to work. And I kept thinking like, what a massive investment. Mm. And like I asked friends in the construction industry, including professional architects and engineers, how much training do you get on average per year? And the, the most common answer, what do you think it is in days? How many days? Well, like three. It's two. Yep. So you're right. You're right there. It's two days. And then at the executive, at the leadership level, you probably see a little bit more, a little more uptake, right? They get some more training. But you have the vast majority of people interacting responsible for your customer value. They're only getting two days to reflect and learn. Mm. It's amazing that we deliver things, isn't it? No. And right. Our, pro- our outcomes are only as good as the process that gets us there. And, you know, I was like, how do I was talking with someone earlier about how do we, how do we get out of this or how, how do we have a change? Because also there's just like this sense of urgency. There's not time to give, we don't have time to train people. We don't have time to go offline. We don't have time to ask more questions, but it's like this, this vicious cycle that never ends because we're then not creating the learning capabilities and we're not developed cultivating leadership and we're not having time to make the invisible visible or to go out to go see to go to the actual workplace because it feels more uh it feels easier to just stay where we are although you know we're stuck where we are but there are other ways to go see right now in a virtual world and um yeah you know the only secret to toyota is its attitude towards learning and i think you you know what you described really fits that uh, fits that saying as well yeah i got a friend that uh He's all excited about Tesla's market evaluation beating Toyota for the first time ever. And uh, I told him, I said, Elon's got a long way to go to catch up. That looks like a temper. I was like, they just, like, I don't want to take anything away from Tesla. Absolutely, you know, cool concept what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve with the people. But you've got a lot of people at Toyota that even when they retire, they don't stop doing it. No, right. Huh. They they go out and they they can't turn it off, and it, yeah. and I think that yeah that is that's so encouraging, and there's no reason to stop, right? No, well, you, well, once you're a lifelong learner, you're a lifelong learner, right? And I mean that goes to Mr. Yoshino as well. You know, the last ten years he's worked as a lecturer at a university to teach, and he sees it as his passion and his sort of life's mission now to help teach this type of thinking to young Japanese students who have actually been raised in a much more traditional, like, yes or no, have the right answer type of education uh, environment. So he approaches his students in the way he engages with them in the same way he would have if he was working with his direct reports and helping them find their purpose, their, their weft, yeah. uh, you know, their warp threads and how are they learning and how are they developing and what are they discovering and how are they integrating those two? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's quite, it's quite inspirational really about how do we, how do we keep that curiosity and, and commitment to helping other people throughout our lives? And I heard from uh, a philosopher, Katie, to pile onto that, that said that, 
you know, you study different languages and cultures and you've been around the planet, the English language tends to be a very linear language and it, and it kind of is more causal and it takes you to like logical ends where some of the other Eastern languages, especially some of the Asian languages, there's a natural reflection just built into how people speak. Yeah. And this whole concept of, uh, I bumped into a bartender once when I was in Missouri of all places and the bartender was half Japanese, half American. And she was telling me that, uh, when she was, we were just talking about stuff while I was waiting for the line to go down. And, and I said, uh, Hey, I learned something about Japanese people, the Hansei. And I said, can you tell me about it? She started laughing so loud. She said every time she was a little kid and she misbehaved, her parents told her, go do the Hansei. Yeah. And she had to reflect. So from very early on, she had mm. all these great experiences on reflecting. Yes. And that was not something that I ever remember growing up doing and my parents saying, hey, you need to reflect on this. Like, never. For sure. Uh, and first, I actually want to tell you that my the, the working title of the of the book was Practicing Hansei. Because to me, that is the meta story of um, the book was the practice of reflection and self-reflection and was fundamental not only to the creation of this book, but also to the learnings that um, happened along the way. And so, but I also want it really fundamentally, the Hansei was about pulling out the concepts of learning and leading. And so I settled on that for the title, but all the reflection questions, then I pulled in that title there for practicing Hansei to encourage people to not just read the story and say, oh, that was a good story or an interesting story, but to then as a challenge for practicing Hansei on themselves to reflect on their own experiences and learn. So that's just one uh, as it relates to the book, but practicing Hansei was my working title. And then yes, at home with my six, you know, six-year-old and, and nine-year-old, we have been really intentional about uh, ask, well, one of the, for first thing that one of the nice elements about COVID is we have a lot more family dinners. You know, my husband's not commuting to work and I'm not traveling and on the road as much. And we have family dinner almost every night together, which has been great. And we have a practice of asking each other questions, but not just cursory, like, how was your day? But there's, you know, what's, you know, what's one thing you were grateful for? What's one thing you learned? But absolutely, I think having those intentional reflection questions at dinner. So not just how was your day, but like, what's, what's one thing you're grateful for? What's one thing you learned? Or what's one thing that was challenging? And I learned that using the one thing has been really helpful. And I actually learned it from a woman who is my coach and mentor, who is part of my chain of learning. Actually, she was uh, mentored by John Shook. So she's part of my direct lineage to, to uh, Isao Yoshino. But Margie helped teach me with a lot of the facilitation skills and style that I have. And I love this question is like, what's one thing? Because sometimes people get overwhelmed when you're like, you ask a question, you know, what do you think about, or how was your day, or what are you learning? It's like, oh, I have to think about everything. But if you say, what's one thing, most people can think of one thing. And so I, I actually use that with adults too, when I'm uh, facilitating a workshop or one-on-one um, -on -one coaching or in a group, because people can usually identify one thing. And then, then we build on, you can build on it from there. That's a good move. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, it's great. Please do. That's the one. So bring in a question, but open-ended, but what's one thing or, yeah. Yeah. I even do some things where we'll show like a, a photograph of a process and I'll just ask people like, where do you see yourself doing well in this? Or where do you see it missing mm -hmm. to get people to see and align on what 
can we fix? Because mm. it's invisible, right? Mm. Everyone's just like, go to work. You know what to do. Mm. It's like, mm, I don't think we do. If it was that easy, we'd already have it. Yes. But I had it yesterday. Right. And it's so overwhelming too to like think, oh my gosh, especially if you are, you're a big picture thinker and you can see the end place that you want to get to. Well, that can be overwhelming. Okay. Well, what's yeah. one thing you can try? What's one thing you can do differently tomorrow? And it helps break it down and feel more manageable and achievable. And then, you know, slowly by slowly, we, we move so slowly by slowly, step by step. Yeah. Uh, we move, we move in that direction. And I do want to pull out of you one one way, I know there are many, but what's one way for a leader with direct reports to reflect and better communicate their purpose? Like mm. if you had to give like a way, and you could pretend it's me too, because <laughs> that makes it easier. So I will we'll have a clarifying question uh, to sound like there were two questions in there, like one's what, one way to reflect and then another is one way to share their purpose. Or do you Yeah, well, I think a lot of people that are in leadership positions, and this is just my assumption, are not clear on their purpose in that. Mm. Like to, to read in the story, Yoshino was just like such a long time ago to be so knowing where he wanted to go. Mm. And like you knowing you wanted to travel at such a young mm. age. I think that's really rare. And I look back in my life, I had to do a reflection in business school, like, connecting they call it connecting the dots where you had to go back like a decade mm. and write some big things and then talk about what came to mind and how they're connected and i had never done that in my entire life until i was forced to <laughs> so you can think of me katie if you had to yeah, force me well, to reflect and communicate my purpose how would yeah, you make me no do i it? i you know i so it's both reflecting on and then communicating the, the purpose so i I, you know, one, so one of the things Mr. Yoshino of many, many, Yoshino mm. said many things to me, but in his reflection and, and this experience of working on the book together, he said that the process of now looking backwards, he's seeing connections that he hadn't even before. And also him talking to me and then me sort of reflecting it back to him. So he's seeing connections in a different way. And and so we may not know our purpose in the beginning, but how do we take that time to sort of, I, I love that concept of connecting the dots uh, as well. It's what are some of the common themes we've been seeing? Because we may not even be aware that there have been some compelling elements of our life that really have driven a lot of the decisions that we've had and made. And so being able to start seeing that interconnection for example, I, my career has not been linear. I started yeah. off thinking I was going to get my PhD and do health policy research. Uh, I pivoted from that, but even though I'm a lifelong learner, uh, to moved into consulting and then from that um, process improvement and then from that really like leadership, uh, coaching and development all in this you know, uh, learning and people-centered uh, space. But there have been some common threads to me, which is connecting with people um, helping, um, thinking deeply. Uh, and, and so if we can anchor on those elements and then, uh, and, and really get clear for us, what are we trying to do? Like, mm -hmm. is it important for us to be right? Or is it more important for us to be, um, creating, I don't know, helping other people to improve. So one way that I help. so you asked for one way, so I'm, I'm sort of expanding on many, many thoughts. 
So this is something that I've uh, brought into my practice a lot more in the last two years, and it's drawing uh, mm -hmm. and using drawing to reflect. And then you can put words on top of it. But sometimes what we see in a drawing can, can highlight things that we may not have been aware of and also communicate elements that uh, words might not have been as easy to convey. And it's a practice that I've reincorporated into my world of, by Karen, through my work with Karen Ross in our, in our partnership for our coaching communities. And it can be really powerful. So now I ask uh, leaders or people in workshops to say, draw your purpose. And it may not be the per you know fully articulated at the time, but yeah. it's really amazing what people draw, even if they're like, oh, I can't draw stick figures, but it, it reconnects with the heart in a different way. Um, and then I would say, use that as a communication tool to talk to your people about um, what your purpose is. And, and I, and I suggest to people too to to be transparent also that it's okay to be a leader who is is learning like yeah please can, like right and that's like i'm please leadership <laughs> yes and so to say you know wow i've i'm really trying for example and i because I, I also help people to see how the things that they say may actually be inhibiting the outcomes they're wanting to see so and you know maybe they're telling more or they think they're asking good sort of effective questions, but they're really asking very directive, closed-ended questions that are uh, really their idea disguised yeah. as a question. And so they could say to the people that they're working with, my, my intention here is to help you sol uh, solve this problem. You know, I have some experience in the past that look in situations that look really similar, but I wanna ask some questions to help you think more deeply um, and just to be to, to label what you're doing and and it, it shows humility on your behalf as uh, as a learner or as a leader who is not showing up as the expert who knows it all um, yeah. and that it kind of creates a level playing field and you mentioned Sean Edgar Schein earlier and there already is this natural there's this imbalance that happens when in power when we have a hierarchical structure and so by by saying that you're learning too and trying something different um, and trying to connect and align with your purpose as a leader by doing something different, it sort of it, it sort of levels that playing field and people might feel more comfortable coming forward and starts to create that culture where it, it's okay to not have all of the answers right away. Yeah, I like that. And it keeps the responsibility with the one that needs to do mm. the, yep. the learning. It doesn't take away from the leader having to learn, which I love yep. that you said and made explicit. Because there's no such thing as arrived at destination, mm. unless you're traveling somewhere physically. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know where we're going. I have an idea with some of intention. I need to do more reflection myself. I'm going to try what you recommended, Katie, and I'm going to draw my purpose as well. Please, I'd love to see your your picture. Yeah. I'm I need definitely... to refine my picture. Oh, I I did my drawing like a year ago. It's a globe with people connected all around it. And oh, um, that's nice. This is, mine's about connecting people around the world to help them live and lead with intention. So um, very much connecting with what your purpose and then how do you align your actions in that direction? No, oh, I like that one. I'm not going to steal that. I'm not going to answer. That's all right. You have your own, but you can. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> it had to be the around the globe because, they, yeah. you know, that connects to my, my yeah. purpose too of, uh, of being a world traveler. Yes. Well, it's, learning Japanese was... Well, working towards learning Japanese, because uh, <laughs> I certainly, I, I did pass the, the, the lowest level of this 
the national proficiency exam. So I was very proud of that after only 12 months of living in Japan. But it was a very good experience uh, as a learner because the grammar structure of the language is so opposite with the the verb always at the end. And it, so it doesn't follow, you know, the English or the other, or the romance languages in the structure. And so it was, I just had to let go. And then also learning to read a whole nother, well, two alphabets and then a symbol language was also so interesting. It's given me great empathy for my children learning to read because I'm, I was an early reader in, in, you know, in the English language and reading came very easily to me. Um, and I'm, I could even speed read without even trying it. It's just happened. Wow. Just my brain, it just sort of happens. I, I can't, I can't, when I'm aware of it, then it doesn't work. But like, I, but my, when I read Japanese, I actually have to look at every letter and then create the word from there. So I would write the, the Roman characters above because I could read those quickly and compute into the word, but to see the Japanese characters, I had to put it together. Only mm. certain words could I recognize as a whole word. And so to me, it was super fascinating about how our brains process information. Um, and, and it was a sort of a humility for myself too, because reading has always been so easy that, wow, it wasn't just like clicking. It wasn't like all of a sudden I could just yeah. read Japanese, but I, it was you know coming with practice but it took a lot of intentionality and uh, purposeful practice to you know move in <laughs> move in that direction <laughs> well what's a what's a good translation for kaizen in english oh i mean so you're going to i i'm going to it's a little bit of a spoiler here at the end of the of the book but uh <laughs> so well, i'm in your wavelength i mean i feel it's like it's all right all right so well two things so the the I got also a little obsessed with the Japanese characters and sort of the, the symbolism of that. But the, the two characters that make up Kai and Zen, one comes from self and the other has a part of a character's whip. And so actually it's changing yourself is more, Kaizen's more about changing yourself for the good, mm -hmm. not just change, change for the good, but it's self whip for the good. So how do you, how do you look within and start with yourself? Yeah to create change. And so we just translated as continuous improvement. And then how it relates to the book is that the two pillars of the Toyota way have been translated as, and they translated, but translated by Toyota in their document, the Toyota way 2001, as respect for people and continuous improvement. Respect for people actually has a richer translation. There are two words uh, or two meanings for respect um, and there's sort of respect for people or person because you have a higher position than I am. You, you know, I respect you because you have a certain title or you're older than I am. Okay. Uh, and then there's a different word for respect, meaning it's really the respect for humanity. I, I, I have a deep connection and respect for you because of who you are as a human being. And mm. that's the meaning that is in respect for people. But our words sort of, I guess, gloss over that. And then the second around continuous improvement in the Toyota way 2001, the Japanese version actually has two words. It's chie to kaizen. So to meaning and chie means wisdom. It's wow. wisdom and improve for the better continuous improvement. And, and they left off the word wisdom. They just put kaizen. And to me, that is like, 
That's the missing secret sauce because wisdom gets back to this concept that the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning and learning comes from, you know, you develop knowledge and then it's through that generational learning and knowledge is where the, the, the wisdom happens. And so we, we totally lost the concept of wisdom as part of the purpose of Kaizen, you know, it's, yeah. so. That's a really good, uh, insight there katie i appreciate that i i'm huge on context and history and so i mean you're you're firing it for all all cylinders for me right now well you can i i have mr yoshino is the the one who explained explained that to me Uh, i actually have to also give a shout out to michelle baudin who was the one who he speaks japanese as well and he was the one who asked that question to mr yoshino and it sparked our discussion around the the pillars of the toyota way and uh, what that what that meant, but to me that word wisdom is so powerful, as well as the concept of kaizen, meaning cha- change yourself for the better. It's not all just about processes and other people or the things in the work. How do we improve yeah. ourselves so that we're creating good? So, I was listening to some other, uh, watching a TED video this weekend, and the speaker I can't remember the gentleman's name had mentioned like we've we've hit the age of information. And then we we thought we were headed towards knowledge, and he's like, and as you look back in history, we never hit this like golden age of wisdom, at least in recorded history, we don't get it. And he's like, there's little spurts of it, but we just don't holistically get it. And then that led him to pivot out of business and start working in the school system of all places mm. to give kids access to this idea of how to develop wisdom and knowing when to apply knowledge and when not to Mm. and the only place i've seen it as an adult has been when i'm studying toyota and you know that type so hearing that kaizen with wisdom are connected it just makes it so much more obvious why they're light years ahead yes and and so interesting to me that they were the ones that left that out in their translation yeah. Well, like like in John said, you know, the translation problem and managing to learn was a rushed process, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> nice so, little book joke for anyone who's read it. Yeah. But this has been great having you on. Thank you so much. I, I I feel like there's more for us to unpack in the future. I'm going to need to have you come on again when you can and, and share some more of your, your knowledge with, with the audience because well, you got I'd, more to give. I'd, lo- I'd love to. It's been a great conversation and I really do hope people uh, have an opportunity to read and learn the wisdom from Mr. Yoshino in uh, that I've captured in learning to lead, leading to learn, and and some of my some of my little nuggets of wisdom in there as well. But certainly, we we can learn so much from the past. And then, what do what do we do with that? And how do we how do we look within, practice Hanse, and and then look to how we can change for the better for the future as well. Yeah, I love that, Katie. No, perfect. And for those of you that haven't picked up Katie's book, get it. Get the book now. Katie gives you amazing questions at the end of every chapter to help your learning and reflection so you can make this a habit so that you too can have some improvement. Yeah. What do you call it? Self-improvement. Yeah, self, self-whip for the good. Self-whip for the good. <laughs> yeah. Self-whip for the good. That's going to be the title of the podcast. Self-whip for <laughs> oh, the <no>. good. <laughs> Just whip it. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little Devo reference yeah. for the end there. I love that though. That's, that's fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. 
The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.